There, did it. Well, good morning. Welcome to the TR90 Body Burn 30 Weight Management Call. It's a call we do five days a week, Monday to Friday. Susan is at 6.40 a.m. in Pacific Time, and I am at 9.40 a.m. Eastern Time with Mountain and Central Time going in between. So that gives you your parameters. Those of you who are on the West Coast and get up and listen to this at 6.30 in the, or 6.40 in the morning, I think you're amazing. I just do. And I very much welcome your presence on our call. So there's a whole bunch of us that do these calls, and we have Brian Curry, who does all the magic and the technology, and Frank, who saves them on SoundCloud. And then we have a whole bunch of people who speak. I must say I must thank Susan Mann because she's always there whenever we need a hand. She's amazing. And since we've lost two speakers in the last month, Nikki's coming back, but we lost CJ. And so it... um, loads kind of get shared with everybody. So um, Susan has been amazing and is always there. All righty. Oh, we all have different focuses. Some of us like to talk about the exercise. Some of us like to talk about the brain. Some of us like to talk about the food. Whatever it is, it's all about staying healthy so your brain can work. Exercise is absolutely one of the most necessary activities that you do on a daily basis, no matter what. Even if it's only 10 minutes, that's enough to slow down Alzheimer's by 60%. And I'm actually, when I finish this book, um, Brain Rules by John Medina, I'm going to go back and revisit with you another book by... John Rahey called Smart Moves, and there is some really interesting data and um, information on why exercise is amazing for your brain, and obviously, you need a healthy brain because your brain takes up 20% of your oxygen and your blood. All righty, so we're back on short-term memory, and I'm going to just review with you again. We have cracking the code. The more elaborately we encode information at the moment of learning, the stronger the memory. Oh, and I'm just reminding you, we're on Brain Rules by John Medina. Two, a memory trace appears to be stored in the same parts of the brain that perceives and process the initial input. So where it goes in is where it always goes in. And so what you want to do is Make a nice, deep, dendrite path so that that memory pops up really, really well. Except if you've got a memory you don't want to remember, then just don't think about it and the dendrite path will become weaker. Three, retrieval may best be improved by replicating the conditions surrounding the initial encoding. So... When we are encoding, we have obviously the ideas that are really important. And the quality of 
encoding really means the number of door handles one can put on the entrance to a piece of information. The more handles one creates at the moment of learning, the more likely the information is to be accessed at a later date. The handles we add revolve around content, timing, and environment. Real-world examples make a huge difference. The more a learner focuses on the meaning of the presented information, the more elaborately the encoding is processed. This principle is so obvious, it's almost too easy, and it's easy to miss. What it means is this. When you are trying to drive a piece of information into your brain's memory systems, make sure you understand exactly what the information means. If you are trying to drive information into someone else's brain, make sure they know what it means. The directive has a negative corollary. If you don't know what the learning means, don't try to memorize the information. By rote... Hold on a second. My book is popping up. I have to get my clips. There you go. Don't try to memorize the information by rote and pray the meaning will somehow reveal itself. And don't expect your students will do this either, especially if you have done an inadequate job of explaining things. This is like looking at the number of a digital, of the digital, sorry, this is like looking at the number of diagonal lines in the word and attempting to use this strategy to remember all the words with meaning. Mm-mm-mm, doesn't work. How does one communicate meaning in such a fashion that learning is improved? A simple trick involves the liberal, liberal use of re- relevant real-world examples embedded in, from, in the information. Constantly peppering main learning points with meaningful experiences. This can be done by the learner studying after class or better, by the teacher during the actual learning experience. This has been shown to work in numerous studies. In one experiment, groups of students read 32 paragraph papers about a fictitious foreign, foreign country. The introductory paragraphs in the paper were highly structured they contained either no example, one example, or two or three consecutive examples of the main theme that followed. The results were clear. The greater the number of examples in the paragraph, the more likely the information was 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 to be remembered. It is best to use real world situations familiar to the learner. Remember wonderful Aunt Mabel's apple pie? This wasn't an abstract food cooked by a stranger. It was a real food cooked by a loving relative. The more personal an example, the more richly it becomes encoded and the more readily remembered. Why do examples work? They appear to take advantage of the brain's natural predilection for pattern matching. Information is more readily processed if it can be immediately associated with information already present in the learner's brain. We compare the two inputs, looking for similarities and differences as we encode the new information. Providing examples is the cognitive equivalent of adding more handles to the door.
Providing examples makes information more elaborative, more elaborative, more complex, better encoded, and therefore better learned. Compelling introductions. Introductions are everything. As an as an undergraduate, I had a professor who can be thoughtfully described as a lunatic. He taught a class on the history of cinema, and one day he decided to illustrate for us how art films traditionally depict, depict emotional vulnerability. As he went through the lecture, he literally began taking off his clothes. He first took off his sweater, and then one, bottom, one button at a time, he began removing his shirt, down to his T-shirt. He unzipped his trousers and they fell around his feet, revealing, thank goodness, gym clothes. His eyes were shining as he exclaimed, you will, probably never for- you will probably never forget now that some films use physical nudity to express emotional vulnerability. What could be more vulnerable than being naked? We were thankful that he gave us no further details of his example. I will never forget the introduction to this unit in my film class, though I hardly recommend imitating this example on a regular basis. But its its memorability illustrates the timing principle. If you are a student, whether in business or education, the events that happen the first time you are exposed to a given information stream play a disproportionately greater role in your ability to accurately retrieve it at a later date. If you are trying to get information across to someone, your ability to create a compelling introduction may be the most important single factor in the later success of your mission. Why this emphasis on initial moments? Because the memory of the event is stored in the same places that were initially recruited to perceive the learning event. The more the brain structures recruited, the more door handles created. And the moment of learning, the easier it is, and at the moment of learning, the easier it is to gain access to the information. Other professions have stumbled onto this notion. Budding directors are told by their film instructors that the audience needs to be hooked in the first three minutes after the opening credits to make the film compelling and financially successful. Public speaking professionals say that you win or lose the battle or hold on to, or to hold your audience in the first 30 seconds of a given presentation. What does that mean for business professionals attempting to create a compelling presentation or educators in t- attempting to introduce a complex new topic? Given the importance of the findings to the success of these professions, you might expect some rigorous scientific literature exists on the topic. Surprisingly, very little data exists about how brains pay attention to issues in real-world settings, as we discussed in the attention chapter. The data that the data that do exist suggests that film instructors and public speakers are on to something. So you've got to get them in the first 30 seconds. Familiar settings. We know the importance of learning and retrieval taking place under the same conditions, 
but we don't have the solid, a solid definition of same conditions. There are many ways to explore this idea. I once gave a group of teachers advice about how to counsel parents who wanted to teach both English and Spanish at home. One, dis, one dissatisfying, that dissatisfying finding is that for many kids with this double exposure, language acquisition rates for both languages go down, sometimes considerably. I recounted the data about the underwater experiment and then suggested that the families create a Spanish room. This would be a room with a, with a rule. Only the Spanish language could be spoken in this room. The room could be filled with, filled with Hispanic artifacts, with large pictures of Spanish words. All the Spanish would be taught there, no English. Anecdotally, the parents said it worked. This way, the encoding environment and the retrieval environment could be equivalent. At the moment of learning, many environmental features, even ones irrelevant to the learning goals, may become encoded into the memory right along with the goals. Environment makes the encoding more elaborate, the equivalent of putting more handles on the door. When these same environmental cues are encountered, encountered, they may lead directly to the learning goals simply because they were embedded in the original trace experience. American marketing professionals have known about this phenomenon for years. What if I wrote the words, wind up pink bunny, pounding drum, and going and going, and then told you write another word or phrase congruent with those previous three? No formal relationship exists between any of these words. Yet, if you lived in the United States for a long period of time, most of you probably would write the words battery or energizing, an energizer. Enough said. To finish, what does it mean to make encoding and retrieving environments equivalent in the real world of business and education? The most robust findings occur when the environments exist in dramatically different contexts from the norms. Underwater versus on, on a beach is about as dramatic as you can get. But how different from normal life does the setup need to be to obtain the effect? It could be as simple as making sure that an oral examination is studied for orally rather than by, tr by reviewing written material or that perhaps future plane mechanics should be taught about engine repair in the actual shop where the repairs are going to occur. So, the end of chapter five. Repeat to remember. The brain has many types of memory systems. One type follows four stages of processing, encoding, storing, retrieving, and forgetting. Information coming, from, coming into your brain is immediately split into fragments that are sent to all kinds of different regions of the brain, cortex for storage. It's splattered. It's amazing. And then we pull it back together. Most of the events that predict whether something is learned also will be remembered occur in the first few seconds of learning. The more elaborately we encode a memory during the initial moments, the stronger it will be. And the, many, the more frequent times we go down that dendrite path, the deeper it will be. You can improve your chances of remembering something if you 
reproduce the environment in which you first put it into your brain. And there we go. We are done for the day. Good morning, everybody. This is Granny D. Dorcas Smith signing out of Plymouth, Michigan. And let me just get, let's see. Thank you, Dorcas. I did it. (laughs) You are most welcome. Thank you. That was great information. You are also most welcome. Isn't the brain interesting? Unbelievable. So add as many handles as you can. So there's content, there's the place that you learned it, and what's the third one? Oh, see, it's already gone. I'll have to come and look that up again tomorrow and and say it again. Oh, content, timing, and environment. There you are. The meaning the timing, and the environment. So if you're, going to do a stu- if you're going to do an oral exam, practice for the oral exam orally. Anyway, everybody, happy Monday. Have a great day. Glad that you got to join us. And we'll see you tomorrow at either 6.40 in the morning or 9.40 Eastern. Have a great day and God bless everyone. You have a great day as well. You have a great day too. Bye. Bye. Bye.